Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. And today we're welcoming Erin Peters. Erin is here to talk to us about the psychological barriers to accessing support, why we don't ask for the help we need, and how we can change that. Erin is a psychotherapist, lawyer, and mother. She has worked as a lawyer for over 10 years in the corporate energy sector in Canada and the UK. Most recently, Erin has trained as an integrative relational psychotherapist. She works to support the mental health and well-being of lawyers and those who live and work with them. Welcome to the show, Erin. It's a delight to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive down into this topic. What do we mean when we say psychological barriers? When we're talking about psychological barriers, there's a question of what it is we really mean. And I think we all can understand that sometimes we need help and we have this voice in our head that says, oh, I could really use help. And yet there are things that stop us from getting the help that we need. And it's this aspect, the things that we stop us that we're looking at today. And what are some of those things that get in the way? Well, I think we all know, working in law, that some of the things that stop us getting the help we need are simply the systemic and structural issues that face women and people working in law. It's a very time-pressured environment. It's an environment where we're oriented to help others and everyone else is doing the same. And so those are systemic barriers that simply prevent us from having the time or the space to asking for help or getting the help that we need. It sounds like we're intimidated from participating in our own support that we actually really need. I think when everyone around us has their head down and is busy and everyone else is focused on helping others, it becomes harder to put our head you know, above the parapet, as, as we say to say, oh, maybe I'm the one who needs some help. Uh, martyrdom's a strong word, but it's part of the spectrum. You know, law is a profession of service. We are trained and we desire to help others. I did a, a sort of a quick personality test on a recent webinar that I ran, and over 99% of the participants who are all lawyers identified with the fact that they enjoy helping others and fixing problems for others. And so that tells me that in our profession, and thus in our psychology, we are oriented toward helping others. What that leaves, though, is often a burden that's quite heavy. And perhaps what that leaves is little space or little risk for ourselves being the person who needs help or to ask for help. I think um, sometimes we can't see the need. You know, we're very occupied in our heads often with doing tasks, with the intellectual challenges of legal work, but we don't often recognize what it is that we need. And those needs can be very different. They can have an emotional root. They can have a different place than than start with or think of. Why is it important that we overcome these psychological barriers? Well, I think uh, and I believe that one of the real foundational elements to health and well-being for all of us is connection with others. And also within that connection, an idea of reciprocity, that sometimes we give and sometimes we receive. And I think it's very much harder for lawyers, given both the nature of the profession and perhaps the psychological factors of who is drawn to law and who is doing law for us often to be the recipients. Now, 
my world certainly has changed when I learned how to receive. And myself, I recognize actually some of the difficulties uh, in, in enabling that. It was a gradual process for me. And, you know, a lot of the awareness that I have comes from spending a number of years, both as a client in the therapy chair and training as a psychotherapist myself. And that process really began to highlight how for some of us, we, we really identify with the giving role and the receiving role is one that we really struggle with. And it covers a spectrum of activities and behaviors. So for example, I'll just give you a really, really short vignette. You know, when I'm feeling a bit low and I'm with my partner, my husband, I might not understand that I'm feeling low and I might sort of want closeness from him. So I'll follow him around and I'll ask him questions and I'll try and get that connection with him to meet my need of feeling reassured and feeling comforted. What I've learned to do is that actually I need to say, I just, I'm feeling sad. I need a hug. And that sounds so simple, but even that shift for me has been huge. It's learned. What I'd be concerned about is, you know, saying to lawyers, well, here's another way that you fall down, that you're not perfect, that you're not achieving something else to put on the list. I think a huge part of this is simply accepting where we're at, who we're at in the moment, and not hearing those critical voices saying, well, you should be better. You should be able to cope. You shouldn't feel this way. Think of all the good things in your life, etc., etc." So really understanding our authentic self and still being in touch with who we really are is a big part of breaking down these psychological barriers. So we have to get back to who we really are. So let's just move it along. Let's talk a little bit about developing and practicing some key skills around this breakdown of our barriers. There is something about developing a skill, opening our perception to different aspects of our, as you say, authentic experience. So we lawyers tend to reside from the neck up. We're very, very in our heads, very intellectual, very analytical. And what that can unintentionally ignore is other aspects of our experience, other aspects of our authenticity. So I think one of the one of the foundational keys to starting this process of recognizing our needs is really developing an awareness of other aspects of ourself. And how this plays out is what am I feeling in my body? Where am I in space? How am I moving? What am I thinking? What am I feeling in my emotions? And so really starting, starting to widen our awareness and our perception of different aspects of ourself. It can be a very minute and micro process. So I can think about what I decide to wear in a day. I can think about and reflect on if the colors reflect my mood. I can think about and reflect on how I've chosen to eat today. Am I nurturing myself with my food or am I rushing? Through the day? Do I even bother to eat? Do I feed my children first? Do I eat last? So we can really start to notice all kinds of aspects of how we're thinking, how we're behaving, and the choices that we're making along the way. And that was huge information in that. What does the role of feelings play here? 
Well, I think, as you said before, one of the keys is getting in touch with what those feelings are. Um, and often those feelings have a somatic or a physical resonance. So if I'm, for example, feeling uh, overwhelmed, I can often feel a tightness. I'm speaking personally in my chest and my shoulders start to pinch up. If I notice that suddenly my shoulders are up around my ears, I can breathe, I can drop and I can remember that, okay, I'm something's going on for me. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And once I have that awareness, once I pause and have that awareness, I can then think about what do I need to do about this? Do I need to do anything about this? Do I simply need to notice and take a deep breath? Do I need to reach out? You know, once I'm aware, I can then make a plan. I notice that a lot of us say, I'm sorry in a day. How does that relate <laughs> to all this? Well, having lived out of Canada for a number of years and then returned to Canada, I noticed actually it's a it's a cultural package as well, I think, as, as something that particularly women often do. Just natural. It's an automatic response. Oh, I'm really sorry. I have to run and get something. I'm curious about how many times in a day we catch ourselves saying, I'm sorry. And I'm curious as to whether or not there's any more meaning behind that. To be sorry is really to express some recrimination or regret. And what it sets up is an idea that I've done something bad. I've done something that will hurt someone. By being in this place, I am needing necessarily to be apologetic. And I really question, I really question that. What could be other examples of language that we could use to empower us instead of detract from us as part of our awareness? Well, I think if we've identified with, you know, how we're feeling or what we need in the moment, I need to convey to the partner that I've uh, not been able to get the document done on time. And we're aware that there are reasons, there are understandable reasons for us doing that, and we simply are in this position. Then we can monitor our use of I'm sorry and perhaps not start with I'm sorry. I think that's a huge thing, is really to catch that before it even flows. And we might simply start with an I statement. We might be nervous. We might have some anxiety around conveying this message. Pause, take a deep breath and say, I haven't been able to X or I can't finish X. The I statements are really important. And then if need be, give the reasons um, or just see where the conversation flows. But I think removing the I'm sorry is a huge first step to that. What about adding in our needs? Like I need some help or that type of thing in order to address this as part of our awareness. Because as we're moving through the psychological barriers to getting support, I would think that an I need statement is a very important aspect of overcoming those barriers. I agree. It is a very important statement and it's one that may not be comfortably within reach for many of us to say. I think that particularly in law and in other professions, there is um, a connotation that to need is to be vulnerable or to need is to be weak. We have this sort of package, this idea that we're capable, we're competent, we're strong, we can do things well, there's an urgency about how we deliver things. So the whole idea of saying, I need, can be fraught with a bit of danger, if I can use that term. I think it's also very typical of women to soldier on to do the work and not necessarily ask for help as part of just how we're socialized and trained to do things. 
So I think we could actually use this I need in a way that isn't so threatening. If we take it down a notch, like I need more time or I need these two documents to be added in order to get through this on time, whatever it is, but smaller I need statements, I think could really help us for as long as we're aware of the psychological impact of making the statement and our needs in order to go forward, because I think it's a dual thing that I'm hearing from you. I think you're right. And I think starting small is a huge key and starting with someone we, we hope or trust will have, you know, a, an easier response. So we're not going to climb to the top of the mountain and ask her everything at once. The idea really would be to recognize my, my perhaps discomfort or nervousness around voicing a need to take small steps, to pick, pick a person you trust and love, pick a partner, pick a good friend, and just practice. You know, just take really small steps because I expect you will find, well, I certainly found, that it's nerve-wracking. You know, it's a new thing. It's a new idea. You're breaking down all these barriers. Um, you feel quite childlike again in some ways. Yes, you definitely don't want to start with the partner with the I need statements. So we've talked about awareness. Where do we go from here? What's our next step? Uh, well, I think you alluded to this earlier. There's this idea of acceptance. So once we start to become aware of how we feel and what we need, we can be quite critical of ourselves. You know, we can say, oh, you know, I, I really expected that at this age and stage of my life and with everything else going on, I should have a better handle on things. You know, I shouldn't feel um, nervous about X. So I think, you know, approaching, approaching this practice or approaching these ideas with a reminder to go gently with ourselves, to be kind to ourselves, that this isn't an area that we're trying to measure our lack of perfection or our failure is a really crucial step. I think it's really important that we give ourselves the time to work through that acceptance process because I feel if we don't, we're really just going to end up subsuming it under another layer perhaps, and then we're not really getting rid of those psychological barriers. So what is our next step? Where do we go from here? How do we practice this? Well, I think one of the keys to acceptance is sharing with other people. I think that as soon as we voice something that we're feeling or experiencing, there will be another soul who understands and who has experienced the same thing. And so the idea of normalizing our feelings, normalizing our needs, normalizing our human condition, which is perfectly imperfect, is a huge step to acceptance. And that is a relational exercise. You know, you can say to yourself, this is where I'm at, which is one part of it. But really to feel that acceptance is, happens with another. You know, to someone to look you in the eye and to say, oh, I entirely understand. I've been there too. You've also told me about the Rosenberg nonviolent communication tool. So let's talk a little bit about that. What's that all about? Well, this uh, was developed by a man called Marshall Rosenberg, and it's a practice called nonviolent communication. And the idea is that when we start with you statements, and they often are accompanied by the pointing of the finger, which, which your audience can't see, but you yes, can I'm see getting nervous. Pointing You're at pointing you. at me. <laughs> exactly. So when we start with a you statement, you left, uh, you left the fridge door open. The finger comes forward. It feels like an attack. 
And so what it does is it puts the person immediately on the defensive, closes them down to what you are then going to say. You might follow with a perfectly, you know, understandable and reasonable request or need, but they're already closed. You know, they're already in defensive mode. So what Rosenberg has tried to do is develop a formula where we look at what we need, and then when we are trying to communicate that, uh, in a way that is more likely to be received well, or more likely to be listened to, i.e. in a less threatening way, we stay, start with the I statement. I am feeling sad, I need a hug. Not, you really haven't uh, come and give me a hug when you walked in. You know, there, there's a real shift in how that communication feels and is received. I understand that the Rosenberg Nonviolent Communication Tool has four steps. What are they? Well, they wrap up a lot of what we talked about. The first is you need to notice where you're at. Uh, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if there's a tension, if there's a confusion, if something feels sticky or off, that's the time to notice. The more you practice noticing, the more familiar your feeling state, your experiences will become. Uh, you're really trying to find out what is going on for me right in the moment. Once you notice, there's often a feeling that drives or is around that. You know, there's often something. I notice that my shoulders are crunching up around my ears. Oh yes, it's because I feel overwhelmed. So we notice, then we try and connect with the feeling, and then we consider, do I need to do anything about this? Or maybe it's enough just to notice and let it be. Maybe it's something where I need to consider taking a step. Maybe it's something where I need to consider communicating how I'm feeling to another, or asking for something. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I look around me. I see three teenagers in the kitchen. I say, okay, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I would like it if you could please help me set the table. So you make that request. Make the request. And again, using the I statements really makes it authentic. It makes it less threatening. It makes it almost unarguable. You know, who can argue with how you are feeling and what you want? So you're not incorporating any I'm sorry statements, you're incorporating your feelings as the starting point. Yes, there, there is no I'm sorry. No apologies necessary. It is who you are. It is where you're at. Why apologize? There, of course, may be an impact on the people around you, a natural consequence of me being overwhelmed, but there's nothing to apologize for. How does that tie into how women naturally communicate, particularly how they make requests? Yeah, I think my generalization, and I hate to generalize, but my generalization would be that we're very uncomfortable with making requests. Part of it is a discomfort around acknowledging or even understanding how we feel and speaking from a feeling place rather than you know, in law as we're talking about an intellectual or analytical place. So I think we do, when pressed, to make a request or express a need, find it very difficult. I think as well, women often are peacekeepers and take on that type of role, which often leads to the suppression of our own feelings. And we have to be aware of that as we move through this process. What would you say about that? Interestingly, on a number of personality type tests, most lawyers and indeed most women, uh, women lawyers, really dislike conflict. And I think it, it pushes us more and more into a peacekeeping type of role, a mediating type of role. And this role is very other focused. So when we peacekeep, 
we, we really look to keep uh, everyone else happy. And in that, our needs, our place is subsumed or forgotten or often just obliterated. And we do it to ourselves because there also is some self-worth in maintaining the peace. We feel good when there's no ruffled feathers. You know, we've accomplished a task. We've achieved something which is, which is the calm and the peace. So I think, you know, the idea of expressing need, again, can be a dangerous one in the sense that there might be conflict. There might be confusion. There might be a bit of chaos in the moment. And that's not a state that we generally aspire to. So putting together what we've learned today, we can use our I statements. We can eliminate the I'm sorry and make it more practical. We can think about how we're feeling in the moment. And we can also make smaller steps as we express our needs. What do you think would be the expected results when we implement this? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the most immediate results would be a personal sense of, oh my goodness, I've done this. So, so again, going back to that, we're learning new skills. It's quite empowering when you can recognize something in yourself that's this important. Learn and practice some small skills just today and succeed. That's been a huge key for me. I think we'd also be letting go of the guilt and having clear communication if we were able to achieve this because we're putting forward our needs and there should be no guilt around the fact that we have needs, we all do, and expressing them is a very important part of clear communication. I agree and I think certainly what I found is that although my first attempts are quite bumbling and, and you know and I continue to bumble as I go along the way, more often than not uh, my requests are received very well. You know, there isn't this portent of doom that I imagined. You know, my, my partner, my husband, my children, my friends, and as I extend out my practice, most people aren't particularly distressed or conflictual or angry or any of those things that I imagined might happen. So that has been a nice result as well, that, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. I think that's a very important point that we need to have in mind as we go through this, that you're going to be taking small steps that get you through this process. You're going to give yourself the space to do it in a way that allows you to not take on too much too early and know that there's going to be feelings of not necessarily being comfortable with that process, but eventually being there that you will have a much clearer way for you to get across your needs and to be able to let go of those psychological barriers for asking for support. I just want to thank you, Erin, for coming on today's show. Thank you very much. For Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.